Hello and welcome to Blockchain Gaming World episode 124, first one of uh, 2023. I'm very pleased that uh, Yatsu, the chairman of Animoca Brands, is joining me to uh, kick off the new year. How's it going? Very good. Happy New Year and glad to be here. Yes, good, good. So uh, it's been a while since you've been on. A few things have happened <laughs> in the world since then. Um, you know, uh, I'm sure lots of people know, uh, everyone should know, Animoca Brands, uh, you know, uh, well-known game developer, gone through various cycles now, sort of. Um, masters of uh, of blockchain gaming, very early into the scene, very early into metaverse. Um, some very important projects that you guys are working on. Um, but uh, just you know, you you see a lot more than than probably even me. Uh, but most people, how how do you make sense of of sort of what happened um, in two thousand and twenty two? Started off pretty well up up to sort of about April. I think we were all sort of swimming along, um, and then and then progressively bits started falling off the aeroplane. And <laughs> I, I don't know, have we have we crashed yet? I don't know. No, clearly not. But. Yeah. <laughs> So, so I think, generally speaking, I think one thing that I may have mentioned before, perhaps even in your podcast, that you know, cycles in crypto just seem to move much faster than any other kind of business cycles that are out there. So, you know, this year we should have, you know, we should really have gone through four or five cycles as opposed to, you know, one protracted cycle, right? And I think it was obviously amplified by the fact that we have two macros, uh, mm -hmm. sort of, uh, sort of aspect as well, which is obviously the economic, uh, sort of global sort of aspect. Uh, with you know rising rates and so on, and the war in you know and the war in in, in Ukraine and Russia, these are things obviously that have co uh, created sort of you know other effects. Uh, and then on top of that, you know all of the sort of things that happened with Luna and Three Arrows, and you know the cherry on top was obviously FTX, right? Just to sort of uh, do that. Yeah. But you know I take comfort in the fact that despite all of this, we're still here, and mm -hmm. as an industry, I mean, right. And, and people are excited about it. You know, yeah, as you may have noticed, when you go to these conferences, you know, I noticed this when I went to Korea Blockchain Week, and this was shortly after the whole sort of blow up with, um, with, with uh, Luna and Terra, which obviously Korea was mostly affected by this. And yeah, sure, it, it sucked and it was, it, was, it was tragic, but everyone was happy to build. Everyone was like excited about the market, right? Uh, and then even, you know, actually I was, um, you know, I was actually in uh, Token 2049, yeah. <laughs> the whole FTX thing was blowing up, right? And while people were obviously talking about it, there was still a buzz. It wasn't like people sort of, you know, doing funeral marches or so on, right? It was actually people super excited. And we had our London office opening at that moment in time. Yeah. You know, people were sort of, you know, we had like hundreds of people waiting to get in. Uh, you know, it was, it was excitement around the space. Mm. And so I think, I think that's a comfortable part. And I think there's the other thing which has to be said here is that it's distinction. I think there's really two macro distinctions. One is geographic. Mm -hmm. Asia has taken this completely differently than the West. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think partially it has to do with FTX. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, the fact that, you know, Sam obviously is American and has been sort of become the poster and somewhat crypto darling of the West. And yep. suddenly it turned out he was just like this incredible fraud. I think a lot of people are trying to make sense of this mystery almost. It's like, how is this possible that, you know, mm -hmm. someone like that with this background could turn out to be this complete socio and psychopath, right? Yeah. Like it just didn't seem to compute, right? Mm. Um, on the other hand, in Asia, for instance, you know, we, we, we stopped talking about SPF a long time ago. Mm. And, and you, know, you know, Japan has made Metaverse and, and Web3 basically part of their national agenda. Yeah. Uh, Hong Kong actually went out right after the FTX thing happened. They actually said specifically, this is why, you know, we need more regulation and we need to be, you know, mm. we, we want to be a leader in the space. And, you know, before the end of the year, Hong Kong launched its first Bitcoin and Ethereum ETF. I mean, Hong yeah. Kong, right? Yeah. You know, yeah. when everyone else was saying, oh, China is not going to be okay with this and whatever. 
There you go, right? Mm. So, so that's one. Uh, yeah. And then the other one is a distinction between what I, we describe as Wall Street crypto and culture crypto. Okay. So while culture crypto is humming along, sure, prices are down, mm. but people are excited and building projects, you know, whether this is Bored Apes, Cool Cats, or, you know, mm. whatever, what, you know, other, other projects that's involved. Um, and, then, and then, of course, you have the ones who are trading, the mm. ones who are market making, the ones who are actually in the financial side, in the Wall Street side of business, and they're obviously all depressed, right? And yep. the exchanges. And so there's definitely um, sort of uh, a different conversations happening on those two different spectrums. Mm. And so if you're in the NFT side, you know, it sucks, but mm. you're ready to build, but you're more pessimistic, I think, for those people who are on the Wall Street side. So mm. those, are, those bifurcations are definitely starting to develop much more pronounced. Mm. Yeah, that is interesting. So I guess the other, um, oh, the two, so two points to pick up on. I, I do think the sort of the, the, the narrative was with, with sort of um, Sam Beckman-Fried, was a lot, you know, a lot of people have been spending 2022 sort of kicking, kicking on crypto and sort of enjoying it being down, particularly in North America and, and yes. uh, let's say Western Europe. So, so, so that's a narrative that they've quite enjoyed um, playing up. Who is this mad psychopath who's stolen everyone's money and, and yes. clearly, clearly, you know, uh, you know, a fire in a dumpster sort of, sort of thing. So it's sort of interesting that that sort of plays into what they, what they want. And I guess the other interesting thing was, you know, as you, as you sort of alluded to there, you know, China has always been very strong in crypto, but then over the last few years hasn't been because of various decisions being made to get all the mining out and blah, blah, blah. But it yeah. is interesting that we almost have a, you have a, a cycle, you know, two cycles going at different speeds in those different areas. And so China, is, it's interesting, you know, you're based in Hong Kong and um, Hong Kong seems to be, from, 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 from what you say and what I hear from other things, you know, very bullish on it, which is, seems right. very odd Absolutely. in terms of where, where most of us in the West think Hong Kong is now positioned as a sort of like, you know, Compared to China, you know, very much taking t taking the same rules as China, which clearly isn't the case when it comes to these sort of things. And even right. in China now, they have their own NFT platform launching. I mean, it's not we would consider proper sort of fully decentralized blockchain. Yeah. It's sort of like sure. a centralized blockchain, but even so, that's maybe They're that's sort of uh, and and NFTs with Chinese socialist characteristics or something. I don't know. Yeah, well, <laughs> well, I mean, I think you know, think about historically what has Hong Kong's role always been? Yeah. Hong Kong's role has been the financial intermediary, really, for. I guess you could say Asia, but really, as of late, predominantly China. Mm. You know, Hong Kong is a place where you can do renminbi exchange. Hong Kong is yep. a place where you can have basically free exchange of currency and commodities yep. and assets and trading that you can't do in China, for instance. Yep. And so really, you know, China doesn't want to get out of the whole sort of crypto blockchain game. But mm. what they don't want to do is what they haven't done earlier, which is a fully sort of, I guess, um, uh, a fully open market in financial yeah. terms doesn't exist in China anyway. No, so doesn't. why would why would they expect that to happen in crypto? And then and where was the place where that took place? Hong Kong, right? Mm. So I think Hong Kong basically is an intermediary. And the other thing, you know, which is unspoken, but I think one can make some assumptions, is that it basically becomes a kind of legal grounds for Chinese capital to enter yeah. the world of crypto through through Hong Kong, as it has done in the past with regular financial instruments and fiat. So I think, I think this is sort of the area of growth that will come. But then you look at Japan, for instance, everyone's talking about Web3 and NFTs. I mean, mm. even the Japanese government is experimenting with DAOs, right? Yeah. And have, actually have an NFT white paper. I mean, I think okay. they must be the first government in the world that has an NFT mm. white paper. Mm. And in Korea, while they're obviously somewhat cautious because of what happened with, with mm. Luna, every gaming company in Korea is talking oh, yeah. Web3 and doing something with NFTs and, mm. and doing something with tokens. And, you know, so, so they're all in on the game, right? And those yeah. are the biggest team. I mean, Crafton, yeah. for instance, creators of PUBG, right? Yeah. You know, they're all in on this as well. And that, yeah. uh, you know, so, so I think, I think um, again, the narratives are different. And, you know, as you well know, Square Enix, again, I think for the mm. third, if not fourth year in a row, they're like <laughs> blockchain, Web3, here we go, yeah. right? And, you know, so, so it's, 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 uh, it really is different. 
Mm. I think definitely one thing that many things to look at, out for this year is when it comes to blockchain games, but, but the whole sort of new Oasis blockchain, which is clearly a very Japanese-centric <laughs> blockchain from yes. some, some of the sort of uh, pioneers in that field. But it's also interesting that it has, you know, Square Enix, as you mentioned, Sega, a um, whole bunch of, of other sort of, you know, quite, you know, very well-known games companies are part of that initiative. We'll kind of see where it goes. We'll see, will it just be a Japanese thing? Will it, how, how widely will it, will it spread? But, it, mm-hmm. you know, it's sort of, a, as you say, it is interesting that these other sort of uh, territories um, this this stuff is sort of baked in now so there's no sort of debate about whether you do it or whether you don't do it I mean everyone's correct yeah and whether they're successful also, or not we don't know but but, but that's right but yeah, but there's it. absolute commitment to come into the space I mean yeah. we ourselves as Animoca brands have opened a Japanese office okay. and our anchor investors were Kodansha, Shioshia and MUFG Mitsubishi yeah. Group I mean we're talking about the largest Zabatsu basically entering the mm. space you know that doesn't just happen um, you know coincidentally I mean it's almost as if I, you know that that's like Citibank in the U.S. or yeah. something, basically investing, mm. you know, in, in in an NFT company, right? I mean, that would be unusual uh, yeah. from a Western perspective, but in Asia, it's like you know, this is where we need to go. You yeah. have to also consider that this region in particular has actually, if you think about, you know, I often talk about digital colonialism and the effects, <laughs> yes. right? Well, actually, one thing you have to also consider is that, in a way, uh, the Asian perspective is that it's not just individual colonialism, it's actual national colonialism mm. because of the fact that, think about the platforms, you know, whether it's LinkedIn or Facebook mm. or, you know, or, or even Amazon, they're the ones who are actually lording over many of these Asian countries in terms of mm. the communities and the users. And so they look at this and say, actually, this is an opportunity where we can maybe drive a narrative, where we can actually lead as supposed mm. to be led. And that's basically one of the other reasons why it's become so important from a national perspective. They're like, we know what happened with Web2, that didn't work for us. We're not going to sort of miss the window on Web3. Let's go all in and let's develop that. And in some ways, how, you know, if you think about Korea, how they invested early in broadband yeah. and, and sort of created sort of this cultural powerhouse that yeah. really started, if you think about it, um, you know, from the ashes of the Asia economic crisis, you know, yeah. some from 1998. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah absolutely. Cool. Good. OK, um, so um, how, do, how, how, do, how do we think as much as we sort of can, can predict, twenty twenty three. You know, as you pointed out, there's, so crypto doesn't operate in a in a in a, va- in a vacuum. There's all this other stuff going on in the world. Um, you know, <laughs> and I always 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 try and sort of always I think I'm quite optimistic about stuff, but always try and remind myself that no matter where things are, things can always get <laughs> get worse. So so <laughs> we mustn't paint, paint that sort of rosy picture. But um, I think there's some interesting trends, and I guess one of the interesting things I think um, is that while some of these more sort of hard crypto um, sort of uh, projects, maybe like L1s or, or, or some of this DeFi stuff, um, you know, th- th- it may be harder for that to sort of come out of where the narrative of where we are, because that's just, that stuff is about sort of trading and money. But games always sits in a, in a slightly um, softer position where, um, you know, people like playing games and game NFTs perhaps shouldn't be, uh, but certainly don't have to be worth thousands of dollars. I mean, yeah, you can obviously them for like $10, $50. So, so, so I wonder how much of an opportunity in 2023 there is for, you know, we've got a ton of games coming down the line. You know, you guys are working a whole bunch of them. Um, and I wonder if, if that is something that can sort of re-engage people and sort of start to educate people that NFTs don't have to be these ridiculous, um, or unridiculous, but they don't have to be these Absolutely. very expensive monkey pictures. They can be a That's character right. in a game, you know. So, so I wonder yeah. if that 
gives us an in, which may not happen this year, may happen 2024, I don't know. Actually, I think it'll start this year. Obviously, okay. I'm an optimist. Uh, in this industry, <laughs> you kind of have to be, right? <laughs> but but I look at it from the lens of, remember, I mean, we're not talking that long ago no. where, where Bitcoin and Ethereum was literally sort of a fraction's worth what they are today. Yeah. I mean, yeah. we're only talking like four years ago, right? Where, yeah. where the whole industry looked really bad, right? Mm. Um, but, you know, if you look at it from just 12 months ago, it might seem disastrous, but in reality, Actually, yeah. if you take the long-term lens and if you chart it out over you know, a proper sort of period, then actually you think generally things are progressing as they should. Yeah. And the other thing, of course, is to note that when people are sort of getting out of their particular sort of, let's say, tokens, for instance, many of them are actually keeping them in stable coins. That's yeah. the other thing. It, it was yeah. a flight to fiat you know, in, in 2018, 2019. But right now, it's a flight just to another kind of crypto that, doesn't, that isn't as volatile. That's all it yeah. is, right? Yeah. Because it's the US dollar. So, so I think that that obviously says something a lot. So the, the value sits in the ecosystem. It's just not being deployed, right? Mm. Um, so, so, and then of course, VC investing continues to be active. I mean, not as active as it was maybe at the start of the year, or mm. sorry, the, as of the start of last year, shall we say, yeah. right? However, it's still, it's still happening. And at the end of the day, you know, um, the funding that happens in this space is still much better than many other areas of technology investing, mm. you know, when you just sort of take that, com take that um, uh, comparative lens. But in terms of the games and the value of these NFTs, I think you're right that, uh, you know, particularly Americans, I would say, have more of this concern, um, and maybe in Western Europe as well, that when they look at basically board apes, they say, hey, is that the future of digital ownership? And if that is, and I'm not just not interested in, yeah. in this, uh, understandably so. But that's like saying the entire car industry is made up of Rolls Royces and Lamborghinis, which is, of mm. course, not true as well, right? Mm. Um, and I think, I think the other thing is that there's been so much focus and emphasis on things like you know, play to earn or making yeah. money mm. as opposed to ownership as a principle. Yeah, yeah. And as you know, Animoca Brands has all been, been sort of, you know, pounding the pavement around digital ownership, digital ownership, digital ownership until we can say it no more, right? Mm. And we're still saying it, right? But the point on this one is that digital ownership as a right is actually what's attractive. Mm. And all the benefits which could include earning money, yeah. but actually have much more deeper value beyond earning money mm. is now possible because you have ownership. Mm. And yeah. anytime when you discuss with someone, about this and you say, hey, you know, um, why are you against owning your digital assets, for instance? Yeah. Most of them will say, well, I'm not against owning my digital assets. Okay, well, then what are you against, right? Mm -hmm. But what they are against is, in their perception, the financification or the capitalism that could take place with it. And I think, again, this is the Western narrative because people in the West, particularly young people, I think there was a recent study, well, not recent, every year there's a study that seems to indicate that young people are veering more towards socialism in America. Yeah. And many of them happen to be gamers, of course, because they are also younger. Mm. And so they don't like this digital capitalism. Mm. But in Asia, actually, capitalism is viewed very positively for that matter. Mm. Uh, and there was an interesting sort of observation I think a lot of people are making is that this sort of capitalist, um, sort of entrepreneurial opportunity, this sort of American dream is actually much more alive and well in yeah. Asia <laughs> than it is in America, right? Yeah. And so therefore people in Asia are much more keen around sort of that opportunity because they view capitalism as a positive thing. Whereas uh, in America, not everyone views capitalism in, in a positive yeah. way. And that creates this sort of friction. But yeah. you focus on ownership, I think it's okay. And most of those assets might be worth maybe even 10 cents or 50 cents yeah. or $1. And that doesn't matter, yeah. right? No, That's no. okay. Because, because, but it gives a deeper level of engagement when yeah. you start having things that you can own and if you wish to trade, you can. But remember, mm. trading is only one thing you can do yeah. with ownership, right? You can do so much more with ownership. And mm. you know, as we said earlier, what we're excited about, which again is the narrative that people don't see because it's not been fully in effect, 
But once you have big enough of these ecosystems out there with millions of users that actually own something, third parties will come and build yep. awesome experiences for that ownership, right? Mm. We see this in the microcosm of things like Bored Apes yep. because they're valuable users, right? So mm. you're kind of seeing sort of the Prada Gucci equivalent, right? Mm. However, you know, imagine if Fortnite actually was on chain, which yep. likely is never going to happen given, yep. given Tim Sweeney's most late, latest post, <laughs> mm. right? Um, and, and then actually if every other game company could suddenly utilize basically, yeah. you know, the, these, these assets for these users and make a game out of it or create a mm. new experience or create fashion, sort of, you know, Fortnite fashion week or whatever else they want. This will yeah. create an explosion of new services mm. and, and new opportunities really for indie game developers. I think the mm. biggest riddle to us, not in Asia, but in, mm. in the West is actually, this is perfect for indie game developers. Yeah. Like this is what they should want. This mm. gives them freedom. It removes the sort of dependencies that they have from the platforms. But they've been so, so, I guess, indoctrinated with the existing system that they don't see it. And many, as, 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 guess as it turns out, many of the people working in the gaming industry are also not, you know, pro-capitalist, shall we say. They view mm, capitalism yes. as something negative. Yeah. Um, and as a result, their, their sort of, um, I, I guess, their political stance, shall we say, mm. is, is, um, is clouding sort of, I guess, the objective judgment that, but yeah. at the end of the day, you can be, sort of political about everything, but mm. you will probably still agree that you need to have freedom, mm. that you need to have liberties, and yeah. that you need to have ownership, right? Mm. I mean, I think mm. those are things that are enableable <laughs> to the West. And if you understand that, then you should be okay with NFTs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah without, without, without falling, off, <laughs> falling off into a different podcast. I mean, I, I think <laughs> it's, it's very interesting that you have this sort of thing, you know, particularly, I, mean, I guess at the moment, I'm definitely not going to go down there, but, but free speech is a concept sort of everyone agrees with until you actually yes. go free speech for who <laughs> and, then, and then it totally falls apart so it's one of these things that everyone yeah of course free speech no but but not for not for you uh, but anyway but I, I think it's a good point that you sort of bring out there that sort of we're in the sort of west we're in you know so so developed we're in this sort of post-capitalist thing where actually people don't understand what capitalism is they don't understand it's the basic financialization of that society which is you know you could argue that that's not morally neutral in some ways but basically it's how everything works um but then you pick up a very small sort of aspect of it and then, and then complain that that's it but anyway yeah i do think um it's interesting whether we will actually lose the term nft which i think again i mean play to earn has been has been a terrible term but nft all, all i mean more neutral i guess as it started out but not necessarily now a very loaded term for many people and people have tried to do collectibles and blah blah, blah. but i think it's, as soon as people can understand in the game sense that you know a asset in a game is something you own and we call that an nft or we call it whatever we end up calling it there's nothing magical about it it's not it's absolutely expensive yeah. it can be disposable can you know these things are basically they exist at the moment they just sit in a centralized database and now we're moving them into a decentralized database that every you know, can be accessed in different yes. ways and, and and that's a in some ways a very simple concept but i think in some ways uh, you know I, i'm always so optimistic and i'm always too naive that people are going to get these concepts very quickly and and it you realize it just takes yeah, almost like it's almost a generational thing that people have to. You know. Well, I think one of the ways that sometimes helps explain to some people is mm. around network effects. Yeah. And, and the fact that when, you know, how do you construct network effects? Well, yeah. the way to construct network effects always is to make these, um, whether it's assets or content or data, or whatever, free. Right. Yeah. Right. No. If you own something and it is free to do whatever it wants to, it has yeah. the ability to create 
endless network effects. But if it's yeah. permissioned, you don't yeah. have the ability to create a network effect because you always need to ask someone whether it's okay or not. And, yeah. and, and they may not have the time to even look at it to give you permission to do so. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And so we see this already happening. And, and so with digital assets, basically, with, this, with, with the NFTs, really it provides the, the platform where now you can have constant new network effects being built by third parties that you actually may have no idea where it's going to be. Like we envision a future where we might not even, we can't imagine some of the innovations that will begin with these NFTs because of the fact that uh, someone will come up and dream up with something because they have the freedom to do so, right? Mm. So it is really fundamentally uh, yeah. about freedom. I think NFTs will probably go the way of MP3 eventually. Mm. But if you remember, you know, the MP3 player was something, and MP3 as a concept for mm. digital music existed for quite some time. Right, mm. people were talking about MP3s, and I'm listening to an MP3, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. And really, you know, it started to start to fade away when I think Apple started coming out with the iPod, and sort yeah. of, and, and sort of that sort of to move away, you know, not as a technical standard per se, but just this idea that we now call it an MP3 yeah. because suddenly all listening was happening yes. digitally anyway, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, and I think we're at this phase as well, um, where where NFTs are basically going to uh, have the same effect. But just like MP3s, MP3s ended up becoming a representation of a future rather than necessarily a negative connotation. Yeah. And I think NFTs are the same thing. When people talk about NFTs, they're indicative of a future of digital ownership of these digital assets mm. um, that are obviously unique. Um, and it's a moment in time. And maybe five years, we're, we're just going to call them things we own online. That's yeah. it. No, 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 there won't be a term. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. Something you sort of mentioned there, and going back to the sort of play to earn thing being a bit of a sort of disaster. And obviously, the problem with play to earn, people, people were buying stuff to then earn, and that was the economics. Obviously, that didn't stack up. I think the interesting trend, and we'll see how widely it goes. I think it probably is going to be a big trend this year for games in particular. Is basically this stuff is now free. So it's sort of. I mean, obviously, Gabe Lydon um, is doing this whole sort of big, big Gabe thing with Digidaigaku, which of I'm course, a big fan of. of. But 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 but, it, but that's a very specific sort of thing, and he's got this kind of. Fr <laughs> Free, free to own sort of mechanic going on here. But I think in general, we're seeing it with other games, big time and a bunch of other ones where certain assets at least, um, could be tokens, could be other things. Um, I think um, Illuvium's doing it as well, where basically you have to play the game to, and that's how you get some sort of in-game asset, maybe a character, maybe a yeah. token or something. And, and yes. there is no token sale, there is no NFT sale because people who are playing the game are owning these things out. They may be valuable, they may be not. And I think that just solves a lot of problems around sort of speculative pumping the price this is what we're minting it at has the price gone up or down if it's you can wait for free and it stays doesn't have any value then you haven't lost anything because presumably you've enjoyed the game um, yes and then and, if you choose to engage with it thereafter yeah. because you like what you see yeah then you participate in it. and 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 by the way this is something that actually phantom galaxy started doing yeah. quite early on where they gave out basically sort of the initial sort of um the, mm. the, the sort of the initial NFTs, right? The Halberts and the Hopefuls. Yeah. And that ended up, you know, they're not obviously super valuable, but mm. most of them were, you know, trading at five to $10. And, you yeah. know, I guess the, the Hopefuls were trading maybe up to an ETH, that's it, right? Yeah. So that's obviously expensive, but it's not yeah. ridiculous in comparison yeah. to some of the other stuff that one sees out there. Yeah. Uh, and, and, the, and the parallel really is around, it's another form of marketing, if you think about yeah. it, right? Yeah. And in the case of Phantom Galaxies, the game was already playable, at least as yeah. an alpha. People could try it out and see if they liked it and, and yeah. not, right? And, and this is actually what you do in free-to-play gaming. You give the game for free, yeah. and you spend a whole lot of marketing money uh, to you know, Apple or Facebook or Google yeah. to get people in. And then you know, if they like the game, they stick around. If they don't like the game, the issue is that who did you pay to bring them in? Mm. The difference is that in sort of the whole free-to-own or play-to-own parameter, you're actually rewarding the player directly with the advertising budget. 
Yeah. Whereas in you know traditional free-to-play games, you're actually paying Google and Apple and Facebook mm. and all these advertising companies. And how much of that money that you're spending on them goes back into the gaming industry and is generally a big fat yeah. zero or at least a fraction of yes. so, so small that it doesn't matter, right? Mm -hmm. So I think, I think that's, uh, that's, that's really the, the change. And it comes back down to this sort of financification conversation, which is financial systems have always existed in games. Yeah. They were just never transparent for people yeah. to see. And now with on-chain mechanics, you can now actually analyze it and say, oh, this is where it went. That's what it's worth. And mm. oh, this is what you rewarded. And, and you can make that assumption. You can calculate backwards and you can say, okay, this is now was a $3 million marketing campaign because mm. you gave out these assets that were trading for this value. Um, and you know, maybe if they sold it, they could have generated that, but then they would have never gotten the users in the first place. So you know, it's, it's mm. fair, right? So it's, it's really, you know, un once you have transparent frameworks, it yeah. allows people to innovate on the model. But if you can never see it, yeah. then you, know, you, you never know what to do. Mm. I think that's the, sort of the, the irony about, you know, a little bit about discussion about sort of capitalism and, and you know, financialization of things. People, that, that seems, seems terrible and everything, you know, the, the, the price of everything and the value of nothing, all those sort of, sort of things, which I, to some degree I agree with. But if you have a transparent financial system, then people understand where the value flow is. They can understand what they want to, want to spend. And people, obviously, you know, our behaviors in all forms of life are basically often uh sort of uh controlled by well i can you know i can buy a car and then i want to get the bus and then that will save me this time but it cost me this you know all, all that sort of processing goes on all the time and yes. there's no reason for it having that in games i think certainly will create a different sort of game but it won't make them immoral games won't it make, some games will be worse no. some games will be i think yeah. at the top end some games will be seeing some games that we could never have as you sort of said, never conceived that people could build these games. There are going to be lots of di maybe different teams involved, lots of sort of guilds and all that sort of stuff, and you're going to have this incredible um, immersive uh, emerging experience that, yes. that a, a single game developer could never build in and of themselves because Correct. there is all this, you know, is a proper ecosystem going on. And, and we've, seen, we've seen this already a little bit here, right? Yeah. Because one of the earliest versions, although it's not on chain, is mm. Minecraft. Yeah. The value of Minecraft is actually mm. not attached to the game itself. Yes, mm. it is in terms of selling the yeah. software license, but it's because of its open source history. Mm. You know, someone built a server or actually thousands of people have running servers and you yeah. have Mindplex and you have basically you have uh, you have basically sort of mods and you have a whole ecosystem that actually is what's keeping Minecraft powerful and alive. Mm without actually, you know, without with Microsoft not doing much really, mm. if you think about it. I mean, yeah. Minecraft is succeeding sort of, you know, you know, in spite of Microsoft's yeah. efforts, yeah. which isn't really much, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and that's because there's now a community that has mm. a quasi sense of ownership, but it's not true ownership per se, yeah. right? As we have seen with, you know, some of the anti-NFT policies, yeah. How, <laughs> right? However, it is a way in which people have a, in, a sort of way in which they are involved in the ecosystem which include financial in incentives. Oh, I've yeah. run a server. I yeah. charge you $5 to use a server. I mean, that's a financial system, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, and it was, wouldn't have been possible if it wasn't open source. So, yeah. you know, all these things that um, are already happening. And I think it's a good example of, of how, uh, how open systems actually are, are better. Minecraft is the second most popular game in the world after Roblox, by the way, yeah. right? Yeah. You know, and again, most traditional gamers would look at those two games and say, that's not a game. Mm. But guess what? Most of yeah. the world are playing these two games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. And I think it is interesting. I don't know how... how well, I, I guess it, there is an interesting sort of kernel here that, that both Minecraft, um, you know, as you mentioned, you know, Minecraft has basically said you can't have any NFT stuff in there at all. And, and then equally sort of Steam, which has been effectively running an NFT skins 
platform yeah, for the last exactly. ten years. So basically, we can't we can't have NFTs on on Steam without you know without, like Valve's making billions of dollars a year, or billions of dollars of trading volume around CS:GO skins, which which are completely you know sort of cosmetic skins in in in, uh, in CS:GO. And it's interesting that maybe those are so those are those are so close to being effectively NFTs that that they sort of just see cannibalization. They can't. They, they oh, have too much to lose yes. in that in that case Correct. to open up, even though they Correct. should understand that's the direction of travel. So I think in the case of Minecraft, I do think it is actually a I do think it is a preference slash political point that's being made. Yeah. As we have now seen that at the end of the day, this idea that technology companies are apolitical, I think it's not possible. Right? <laughs> because I mean, you know, like maybe this was a fantasy we would tell ourselves because we'd say tech is, you know, but the mm. people behind it aren't apolitical, right? No, no. You know, they may not even know that they have a political no. stance, but they just made one, right? You know, uh, and so I, th I think in Minecraft's case, because I guess they have autonomy, they've made a position that was clearly sort of, I guess, to an extent, um, sort of limited capitalism, anti-capitalist, but I don't think it was as much about protection per se. I think it was okay. more around that they didn't like this. That's my interpretation. But for Steam, I am yeah. absolutely with you on this one. I think that it was a, a, a move that they saw was threatening to the ecosystem. Yeah. You know, veiled in the whole thing of, oh, but NFTs are a scam and therefore yeah. we must stop it. And sort of, you know, getting quasi celebrated for it by, you know, the, the anti-NFT crowd. But generally speaking, I think this was really a self-preservation move. And we've seen this, right, in industries as well, right? They, they, they will just say, you know, they, they, if they see something that's threatening to them, because NFTs are actually going to underlining, uh, is an underlying threat for any platform, right? It's yeah. actually an underlying threat even for the App Store, for Google Play. Yeah. I mean, say what you will about Axie, which is actually not doing quite as badly as people would like it, no, to, no. Like it to be, frankly speaking, right? Yeah. You know, the people that are sideloading and playing Axie, um, are, are actually really, if you think about it, it's a existential threat for something mm. like Google Play. Mm. Because Google Play suddenly, all the services they have and all the benefits is not enough for a, a game or a blockchain game, like actually to sort of come back crawling and saying, can I please be on the platform and follow your rules? Mm. Because, uh, because people are still choosing to sideload it because whatever experience that Axie is providing is so valuable, which is what ownership does. So I think, I think this is, this is the area where it's, I think it is a threat to the centralized platforms and they're going to have to evolve. Well, talking of which, I did have to write down, I'm going to ask you about the App Store. Obviously, you've had many years of experience with the App Store. Um, <laughs> yes. I don't, I, did. I don't know if you're as confused as everyone else about exactly what Apple has, has, has <laughs> said you could do with NFTs. I mean, do you think, do you, do you, you know, do you think that's going to be a significant driver of adoption in 2023 or is that just going to be a whole, a whole confusing mess of stuff getting chucked out, Apple changing its rules, people go, you know, I mean, it seems at the moment just, just to sort of, that's clear as mud, yes. exactly what you can do. But clearly yes. if, if Apple did allow some decent sort of transparent use of NFTs within apps that you would think that would be, you know, that would drive some usage. Yeah. So I love the term clear as mud because <laughs> yeah. that's exactly what this is, right? Yeah. Um, I think the, the challenging thing with Apple is that whatever rules they decide today, they will change tomorrow. So in other words, we can't take a look at what they say right now and make any assumptions because this mm. isn't like government, right? You know, when government enacts a law, mm. then you know there's parliament and there's a mm. judiciary and there's a process and at least you have, you know, a couple of years before someone yeah. else gets elected to make that change, right? Yeah. I mean, that's the one thing about a democracy that you have at least that level of transparency, as messy as that may be. Mm. But at Apple, it's a, it's a snap decision. And, mm. and so they may very well decide to change that. So I think the only thing that we can rely on with Apple is market forces. 
So in other words, the way to get Apple to open up and really change its stance mm. is actually not to sort of try to necessarily play within Apple's ecosystem, but yeah. is to continue to evolve outside of the ecosystem in the manner where Apple has to stay competitive, right? Mm -hmm. And so if really, I'm looking to Google as an example to say, okay, yeah. what's Google's positioning in all this, right? Mm. Are they, because they haven't got a position just yet. And talking to some people, I think there's clearly, you know, sort of, you know, some, some, some pushing and pulling uh, that's going on there. But you know, if Google actually came out with a different policy, that is the force that where, where Apple's going to sort of maybe react to. But the other thing that's kind of not really been um, looked at much, but I think we should look at 2023 as a year in which I think the telcos are going to emerge okay. as alternative players. And certainly in Asia, I'm not sure about the US, right? Yeah. But certainly in Asia, they're emerging because they actually have sort of quasi app stores mm -hmm. that are obviously not as influential. Um, but they, they, they can use that as a leveraged platform because for them, that's not their primary business. So they don't, for them, it's more about yeah. sort of getting customer adoption. And when you think about the players in Korea and in Japan, um, uh, and for that matter, even in China for global markets, you know, there's no skin off their back for allowing NFT games, for instance, on their particular app stores mm. as a form of distribution. So I think, you know, it takes us back, if you remember back in 2011, 2012, right? much of the distribution wars weren't actually about the app store at all. Mm -hmm. It was about, you know, sort of, you know, Tmall. It was about what, the, you know, this new platform was emerging. It was about Docomo. Like it was yeah. all these different stores that came out with alternative ways, which actually drove significant traffic back in mm -hmm. the day. So I think, I think we're reaching this point similarly as well. So I think 23 going into 24, I think telcos are going to move into the space and say, okay, we have a differentiating factor. We will allow this type of stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, we're having multiple conversations with them who are all sort of, you know, looking at it very seriously. And you can mm -hmm. see, I mean, Samsung has made investments in NFTs, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. SK Group has, has, has looked at it. Docomo has announced, a, NTT has announced an, a Web3 metaverse fund. I think it's almost $3 billion, right? Okay. Um, mm -hmm. You know, so, 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 so again, you know, you have all these sort of, uh, sort of uh, telecom incumbents who are looking at this, Precisely for that reason to say, you know, we kind of got screwed here, yeah. you know, because we basically ended up becoming essentially subservient to the platform, mm. right? Now, could this be the way in which we can take back some more control? And that's why, you know, so we have enough sides on the other side that actually want, mm -hmm. to, want, to, want to see decentralization succeed, if for no other reason than for, you know, self-preservation. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, going, going back to... Uh, my, yeah, my history in mobile games as well. Remembering when before before Apple and Google, can anyone remember that time? And it, and it was all operator decks. And I mean, that, that was a bit yes. of a messy time. But it was interesting how the, the duopoly basically destroyed all those guys. And and and, and uh, we'll see what happens. And I guess as you I mentioned, mean, they even had alternative app stores for yeah. Apple, and then yeah. Apple yeah. shut it down right by saying it's illegal, right? Yeah. But yeah, yeah. We, the, the, even that existed. Um, but it's interesting you mentioned Samsung. So Samsung have sort of done some stuff with their own Galaxy store that has allowed uh, uh, NBA Topshop back in the day. It was, it was a proper app. And um, Solano phone, I'm quite interested in, in see how, how that one sort of plays out. I mean, obviously, it's going to be sort of niche for the Solano ecosystem, but you could imagine um, there's going to be some usage around that, at least for sort of, yeah. sort of you know, certain sort of group of people. And there are some other sort of phones coming out with full stack sort of Web3, um, which, is, as you sort of point out, creates pressure. And I think Google's the big one. Um, they actually announced they've got a, they, they've got a version of uh, Origins coming out right. quite 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 how um how cut down that'll be we'll, we'll wait and see but i think google is definitely <laughs> ha has the obvious differentiation because they're quite keen on blockchain at least parts of their company and doing cloud services for blockchain validation yes. nodes and <clears throat> that sort of stuff so and the interesting thing about google is that if you think about the ethos of google mm. 
mm. as a, at least uh, high level as a corporation, transparency of data actually mm. is perhaps the most important thing for them, right? I mean, search cannot function when it's in a walled garden. And so, you know, where does, where does Google sort of sit in all this? It kind of makes sense for them to promote this, mm. um, not necessarily for just the revenues that it could drive on their sort of Play Store, but fundamentally as the world's search engine, right? You know, having things that are openly sort of uh, accessible and transparent is mm. to their benefit, if you think about it. Cool. Um, got a few more things I want I wanted to discuss uh, while I've got you. Um, so Mockiverse. So Mockiverse is Animoca's own NFT. Um, mm. I don't know call it ecosystem, sort of yes. branding, yes. family things. Interesting. I'm not sure I fully understand it. Where, where, what's that, <laughs> I mean, where, where's that come from? What do you What do you hope to get out of it? Um, so I mean, I think the you know Animoca itself has a vision of full decentralization. Yeah. Uh, in a way, we are as a public company, you know, with thousands of shareholders already mm. quasi decentralized, right? We don't have a single shareholder, for instance, that has a, you know, has majority votes or casting votes or whatever. So in some mm. sense, we're sort of at least corporately structured in this way. But I think the, uh, the Mockiverse really was a way in which we can bring the next level of what we describe as the future of stakeholder capitalism. Like one thing that we really uh, are talking a lot about lately is that we think the future um, which Web3 can bring forward is not shareholder capitalism. We think it's stakeholder capitalism, meaning that customers are no longer just consumers. They become owners in your ecosystem, right? And then we see this, right? If you own land in Sandbox, or if you own an NFT in Fandom Galaxies, or you own a board Ape, you're not a shareholder in any of these companies, but you are a member of their community in which you have ownership. Their success or their failure is, yeah. you know, you, you sharing that, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. The good and the bad, right? Um, but you are together sort of connected by a much more deeper bond than just simply consuming, yeah. right? And so how do we sort of extend this further out within Animoca itself? And so this is where the Mochaverse was born. But where we are a little different is that we're not actually creating sort of, we're not doing a classic mint and selling and that kind of stuff. Actually, it's if you have been engaged or own NFT assets within the Animoca ecosystem, or if you're a shareholder of Animoca, um, or if you're a portfolio of Animoca, you will be able to receive a set of these NFTs, uh, and you will also be able, if you wish to, buy you know a small amount. And you know we have over 380 portfolio companies. Yes. We have thousands of shareholders. We have you know hundreds of thousands of people who own our NFTs. Actually, probably millions if you count sort of Gamey and those guys as well, right? Um, and who own our tokens. Which means that even though you know the initial uh, drop which is really very small in comparison um, it hopefully can ensure full decentralization on day one because the distribution of this is so distributed one of the challenges as you know is that if you make a paid mint you know maybe a whale comes in and takes yeah. it over and that kind of stuff and, and we really want to sort of decentralize as much as we can from the get-go mm. and so we seem to have this sort of base in which we can start from that and so for the other thing of course it's uh, sort of then sort of signifying a way in which you can be involved in things that Animoca is doing. So I'll give you sort of some concrete examples outside of, you know, talking to people and being part of an event and membership. I mean, that's a given, right? Mm. Um, is, for instance, governance of, you know, our large token reserves. So we have mm. large, large token reserves that, you know, <laughs> for, call it good or bad decision, right? But we haven't solved, right? Yeah. So, so we're, <laughs> yes. we're, sitting, we're sitting on all things, right? Yeah. But one of the reasons we're sitting on them is because we view them as governance, where we yeah. view them as a way in which we can have governance in the future. And, you know, you, you probably know of my involvement with ApeCoin. Yeah. We just went through an election mm. that was, uh, that sort of was fairly dramatic at the end, <laughs> but, you know, worked out really well. And, but this is all part of, of this sort of process where, you know, we haven't, for instance, used any of our tokens in voting because we can't, we shouldn't, right? But what happens if we actually give a portion of these tokens to the holders 
of Mockaverse NFTs, okay. right, which is already fully decentralized, mm. then actually they can make a community decision and have an influence, which is different than mm. if we as a company do that, right? Yeah. So, it's still, so, so that's a way in which you can now have a, an impact to the broader Web3 ecosystem because we're so exposed to it mm. without necessarily um, sort of, you know, creating sort of this corporate overhead structure um, uh, per se. So that's kind of an example of, of how we see that happening. And then of course, access rights to new games and other things and, and, and events, you know, it's obviously also part of that. Really, I don't want to go too far into this because we're going a bit long now, but, uh, um, but well, the, the DAOs are clearly an interesting thing, but I think one, one of the things we've learned that basically through last year, a whole bunch of things we thought were quite simple are actually quite hard. DAOs, not yes. really touching the surface with and, and and DAOs clearly seem to only, you can, there's been some quite high profile things where DAOs have, some people in DAOs have proposed things which are clearly against sort of what the, maybe the management want, but they've sort of gone through. So, so DAOs are almost proving that the community makes really bad decisions, but that's sort of the point of asking the community to do that. So, I mean, with, with the Animoca, with, with the Mochaverse, is it, are you just not opening yourself up for, for a lot of self-serving decisions that, um, I mean, it's sort of how, how do you take the, how do you take the, the stabilizers off the bicycle where, you know, because you you don't want them to make terrible decisions, but you do want them to sort of flex you know flex their freedom to make some yes. slightly suboptimum decisions, maybe. So I, I give you some sort of concrete examples here, mm. right? So for instance, um, you know what we've learned, for instance, with ApeCoin is that the special counsel, for instance, yeah. uh, is is a way in which it basically filters through what's in the best interest, right? And they get elected, so it's mm. like a like a delegate system, right? Basically, yeah. almost like a representative democracy. Mm. And of course, they get elected out of the, after certain periods of times, and they basically make decisions that are, you know, so hopefully in the best interest of, of the DAO. The community can propose, but it still has to go through a vetting. It still has to go through KYC and has to go through legal review before it can just happen, right? Yeah. So, so there is sort of a little bit sort of this sort of parliamentary, if you will, and sort of you know legislative process, uh, which I think we have a lot to learn from and iterate on. From you know government systems, there's a reason they're established this way because yeah, yeah. you know so this isn't this isn't just supposed to be sort of you know like a free for all uh, situation. I think one of the other challenges, of course, is that in the many of the DAOs we see today, there is still dominance amongst a mm. number of whales because of the fact that they have these tokens that they can vote on, and we've been mm. very specific about not using them um, because of the fact that we represent a corporate entity that obviously has you know you could argue a sort of an unfair initial advantage, so mm. we didn't use those. But how can we make it effective? Well, you know, by basically giving a portion of these tokens, but maybe not enough to completely yeah. sort of control it, but enough to have a voice, right? The whole mm -hmm. point is that you want to create enough of a representation, um, maybe 10% of the tokens that can be voted on, right? For instance, would be a big enough voice as a block, mm -hmm. but not, you know, but not big enough to change an outcome if the community rejects it, right? Yeah. So, so, so being thoughtful about this matters. Mm -hmm. And I think what you're seeing right now with DAOs, remember DAOs are new, and frankly, people's understanding of democracy is pretty new. Yes, and I think it's. Yeah. And I think one thing that we've definitely seen is that people' uh, appreciation of, as you mentioned earlier, on the concept of freedom, or freedom of mm -hmm. speech, concept of capitalism, and for that matter, democracy and, and property rights, are actually not well understood by many people. Mm -hmm. That's so. I think when we uh, work through this approach, as I, you know, like I was just on, uh, we were on the Spaces call and. And there were some people in the ApeCoin uh, community that were saying, I've never voted on anything parliamentary or government, but I did vote on this. Okay. I mean, to me, that's great yeah. because it means that they feel they are empowered. And at the end of the day, if we can practice this democratic muscle mm. in many ways, both good and bad, mm. then actually we will go out to vote yeah. because we now realize and respect the fact that actually 
and maybe just be one out of millions, but it still matters, yeah. right? Which, which is the thing. There's higher voting turnouts in Asia, for instance, than it is in America. Why is that? Because in America, you know, people have taken their democracies for granted. It was always there, therefore, yeah. you know, shouldn't it just work and does it really matter? But in Asia, many of them have fought for their democracies, right? <laughs> They're still living in those sort of areas where they go, actually, this matters and, mm. and, and we have to fight for it. So I think, I think this is a way in which you can remind ourselves because, you know, we don't really demo practice democracy um, much at all in life. The no. company you work for probably isn't democratic. Mm. The school that you attended probably isn't democratic. Hopefully. Maybe, yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe, even, maybe even your family isn't run democratically, right? Mm. So there's sort of, therefore, you know, how often do you get to practice consensus building? Mm. You know, maybe with your friends, maybe in certain areas, but generally speaking, you know, not that often, I think. So I think DAOs present an interesting opportunity, but we are early. And so this is all part of the experimentation to bring that forward. Good, good. On that uplifting note, that was a interesting conversation as ever. It goes in, goes in directions I wasn't expecting, which is uh, which is always good. But uh, mm -hmm. I think uh, I mean, I think it just goes to prove, you know, it, it is sort of, you know, so much to look forward to still. And uh, as I said, yes. I mean, my learning from last year was not to be quite so naive as thinking all this stuff sort of sort of progresses down the line in very simple forms and everyone understands what they're doing and we all sort of move up in some sort of wiggish, wiggish history. <laughs> <laughs> it comes crashing down and we have to really think about what we're up to. And, and But I think the, the, the thing I've learned that sort of this year is you, it does make you reconsider the vision and it's, you know, is your, you double check, is the vision that you hope this, this sort of enterprise, yes. at least in terms of games, is that, yes. do we still think that's, that's sort of valid? And I, and I, I think, think it is. You know, I, I think Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm, glad you, I'm glad you agree. It'd be yeah. a bit of a shock at the end if you sort of said. <laughs> no. I mean, and, and to me, you know, it's, it's, nothing has, if you think about it, from before mm. and even before crypto, yeah. nothing has changed around our desires to own our stuff. No. Right? Fundamentally, it doesn't matter. I mean, if at the end of the day, a gamer may not understand that he's renting, but he still mm. believes he owns it. And he's mm. outraged if he doesn't, right? Yeah. You know, if someone stole your rented assets in the game of mm. a, 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 a traditional game, a Web2 yeah. game, I guess. Um, he's just as outraged as, as if someone stole his actual stuff, right? Yeah. He, he's complaining, he's sending message to customer service, a great injustice has been done, you know, you need to solve this for me. You know, he goes on Twitter maybe, then maybe he goes on Reddit. Like he's, he's doing everything mm. that someone does when actually something real has been stolen for him, right? So, so we're already there, we just don't understand that actually you never owned it in the first place. And so I think this is the this is the the parameter. And now when these things have actual tangible value because they have network effects and because they can be traded and they can be owned, people will fight that much harder. And it's no longer just about is it valuable. It's about the principle, right? People yeah. are very principle oriented. They're like, I don't care if this is only worth fifty bucks. This is mine. So give it to me, right? I mean, that's what we do in gaming anyway. If someone stole your stuff uh, or sort of you know maybe looted you in, in in one of those games where you can do that. You know, they're not going to just sit down, lying down and say, well, that's OK. I mean, they do all the things that we do in the physical world, including, you know, maybe vigilantism, which, you know, we don't you know, we don't recommend. But, you know, it happens, right? Yeah, it's yeah, the same thing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Good, good. Lovely. Well, on that note, thank you very much. Yeah. Great talking to you uh, once again. My pleasure. Uh, and thanks to you for watching or listening, however you're consuming the podcast. Uh, remember, every episode we are talking to the people who are we're struggling our way through to the, uh, to, to, to the goal ahead of us, which is uh, people own the stuff in their games and, uh, and enjoy them um, in, in, uh, even, 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 even more than they sort of currently do. So please subscribe. Uh, thanks for watching and see you again next time. Thank you.